Savor 2011 coverage by Craft Beer Radio from Friday, June 3rd. Savor Educational Salon. The Wow of Umami. Creating the Wow of Beer and Food Combination. Charlie Bapazian, President of the Brewers Association. Uh, my name is Ray Daniels. I'm the uh, founder and director of the Cicerone Certification Program. It's a beer sommelier uh, program, if you haven't heard of that. But I am here tonight uh, to be the MC and host for the uh, salon sessions. Very excited to do that myself. Um, uh, and I want to, before I introduce Charlie, our first speaker, uh, tell you a little bit about uh, Saver itself and the, uh, uh, what's going on here tonight. Saver, of course, is brought to you by the Brewers Association. Uh, which, of which Charlie is the, the head, actually. It's one of his many roles in uh, the beer world. Uh, they are also the folks, uh, they are the trade association for small and independent craft breweries in the United States. Uh, so if it tastes good, uh, these guys represent them, basically. Um, no, that's not true. But uh, th- it is largely true. Um, uh, they also put on the Great American Beer Festival uh, out in uh, Denver every year. Uh, and they are also the publishers of uh, some great web resources like craftbeer.com. Uh, by the way, as we go through tonight, uh, you'll notice I'm using a mic. Charlie's going to use a mic. If you want to ask a question, we're going to ask you to use a mic uh, so that uh, they are recording these, uh, and they will be podcast on craftbeer.com. Uh, so if you want to ask a question, get your hand up. I'm actually going to be real sneaky and sit in the back of the room. If I see a hand up, I'll jump up, and I'll bring the, the microphone up to you hand it to you, and you will be live uh, to ask your question when Charlie's ready. Um, I just want to let you know that uh, there are a lot of uh, companies and organizations that make Saver possible, and uh, uh, let you a little bit, uh, uh, let you know a few of the people who do that. Uh, the Reyes uh, Beverage Corporation, uh, Brewery Omegang, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, Samuel Adams, craftbeer.com, Allagash Brewing Company, The Brooklyn Brewery, Flying Dog Ales, Full Sail Brewing Company, New Belgium Brewing Company, Rogue Ales, Saranac, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, Victory Brewing Company, the uh, fine folks at Crosby and Baker, Draft Magazine, GreatBrewers.com, uh, Oak Beverages Inc., and uh, Spiel, Spielgau, the uh, glassmakers. Um, so, I think we're about done with the uh, preliminaries. Um, uh, Charlie Papazian is somebody I've had the, the great pleasure to know for, uh, well, I joked a minute ago, I said, I've actually known Charlie longer than I've known what umami is, the subject of his talk. Uh, I first heard about umami in 1996 when I was in brewing school at the Siebel Institute, and uh, I met Charlie in about 1991 or so um, uh, in, in, in Boulder, where, uh, where Charlie lives. Uh, now, Charlie, uh, for those of you who don't know, is uh, sort of the father of homebrewing in the United States. He wrote uh, The Complete Joy of Home Brewing, which is now in, in its uh, third or fourth edition and, and uh, many hundreds of thousands uh, of printings. And um, uh, that movement, homebrewing movement, really gave birth to the craft brewing movement in the United States. Uh, so when homebrewing was legalized uh, back in the late 70s, Charlie founded the American Homebrewers Association, the uh, young, enthusiastic uh, brewers uh, who were jazzed about making beer at home uh, learned how to make beer and, sure enough, shared it with their friends. I bet some of you in here have done the same thing. And the friends said, gosh, that's really good. You should go into business making beer. And, sure enough, many of them did. 
And so uh, Charlie's Young uh, organization now had two missions, one to help teach people how to homebrew, the other to help them start uh, small breweries. And uh, that really has been uh, the mission of the Brewers Association in its various uh, names and manifestations over the last 30 years. And uh, thank God, right? Here we are. So uh, Charlie uh, is uh, uh, an experienced public speaker, uh, a master of, of beer. Uh, he's also a great food guy. One of the great things about beer is that many people in the beer business are foodies as well. Uh, and having been to Charlie's house, I know he's got his own garden where he grows uh, wonderful things that uh, uh, he and his wife uh, love to prepare and eat. And uh, we've had some, had some hot and spicy meals. We had a little hot and spicy club in Boulder for a while when I was hanging out there. Uh, so uh, let me give you over to Charlie and let him talk to you about tonight's topic of umami. All right. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's go on an adventure together. And we're go- actually, this, this is not so much a salon, but it is a, going to be a laboratory because the subject of which I am going to speak about today and try to convey information is not an easy one because even though I believe that all of you have experienced a sensation of what's called umami, um, it's very, very difficult to identify and very difficult to explain. There's not a whole lot of information even on the Internet and the websites. And some of it is a little bit inconsistent. And um, I've been investigating this since I was asked to give a presentation at Slow Food uh, annual event in Italy that they do well, annuals every two years. I gave a salon there um, to about 100 people, people in culinary school, media people, distributors, beer people, beer enthusiasts, and people like yourselves. And I was really surprised that even the culinary students, really, particularly in Italy, really were the whole concept and science and experience of umami was beyond anything that they had learned in school up to that point. And they were wowed at some of the things I said and some of the taste experiences that I tried to present, I presented that tried to demonstrate what this taste and experience is all about. Umami, I'm going to be coming back to my notes. There's a lot of points I want to make and it's going to be a lot of information and I'm just hoping some of it sticks and it, and it, and it, it enhances your experience here tonight at Saver, particularly downstairs, because a lot of the foods, by coincidence, not by design, have umami character in them. And having gone through this little seminar right now, this, expl- this laboratory, because I'm learning just as much as you're learning. Some of these things may not work as well as they did in the last laboratory I did. But I can tell you that um, one of the, the, the primo experiences we had in Italy is that I was able to st- serve steak tartare, raw beef, which here in this country is not as popular, so I, I kind of opted out of, of doing that because some of you probably are not, may not enjoy that experience as well as the Italians and the Europeans. But what I did was um, I served steak tartare, raw beef, fresh raw beef with a little bit of salt, a little bit of olive oil. That was one batch side by side with another batch of steak tartare and with a little bit of salt, 
same amount of olive oil, and with a, a bit of wit beer mixed in. And that, it didn't taste, you couldn't taste, it wasn't a, a great amount. It was just enough to interact with the protein in the food and elevate the experience of umami. And it worked really, really well. And so I learned that, that you know, that is probably the most extreme example that, that we experienced. We're not going to do that today. But I know that it works, and some of these other things work just as well. Um, what is umami? Well, first of all, we are all ex- familiar with the, the four, uh, four taste sensations, sour, bitter, salt, and sweet that we taste in our tongue. But there's also a fifth sensation that we experience when we eat, and it's called umami. How do you describe that taste? Well, it's a different, if it's difficult, it's not only a taste experience, it's a mouthfeel experience. Umami is, uh, is, is created and is involved with certain proteins, amino acids called glutamates, and there are different kinds. That's the chemical stuff. I don't want to get too far into that. What, it, it tastes... It's sometimes described as savory. It's sometimes described as brothy, meaty. Um, those are some of the indicators, but it's really a, a enhancement of the flavors of individual foods by the marriage of certain characters together. For example, we have, there are a lot of... Um, Beer tasting and beer and food tasting experiences that we've had, you've had, I've had, and sometimes we just say, wow, those two things go really well together. Well, this is not necessarily about what goes well together, but exploring the reasons why certain foods go well together and trying to explain that dynamic. I hear a lot of things about food pairing and what goes good with this and what goes good with that. But this goes, I I wanted to explore fundamentally why that happened, why certain foods do go well with each other. What, we're going to be tasting some things on our plate very soon. I'm going to, I'm going to make a few more points here in that principally, why does beer go well with food? Certain kinds of food. There are many reasons. Sometimes you get thirsty because you, drink, you eat pretzels and, and salt. You're thirsty. Sometimes uh, you're just in the mood. But then, there's, then, there's some, then sometimes there's reasons that are, have to do with the proteins in the food reacting with beer. And what is, it, what is it that in beer and in wine, but more, I believe more so in beer, that really enhances the taste of food? Well... Umami is the, that character that, that experiences that, that is not the food, it's not the beer. What happens when, when, when this reaction happens is the mar- not even the marriage, it's the child. So when you have food and you have uh, a food that has umami in it and you have a reaction with what's in the beer, and I'm going to explain that in a minute, you create a child, an experience, a, a sensation in your mouth that is neither 
one food or another, but an elevated, enhanced experience that is created. It's a child of combining these two foods. Now, what is it in that, that's in wine and food, or wine and beer in particular? That uh, there's umami is enhanced by salt. It's enhanced by acidity, sourness. It's enhanced by bitterness. Now, neither wine nor beer has, is particularly salty, but you know that if you put a certain amount of salt on beef, for example, or meat, not too much so that it tastes salty, but just enough, you enhance the flavor of the meat. That is, in part, in part umami. The other aspects of, is, is the sourness, the acidity, which both wine and beer have. Beer, through the fermentation process, the, the fermentation process creates a, a lower pH, which means that beer is acidic. The carbon dioxide, the dissolved carbon dioxide in the beer, is car, uh, carbonic acid. It's, it's an acidic character. And hop bitterness from hop alpha acids, um, but it's, it's hop, hop is bitter and bitter also enhances. So you have two things in beer that enhance and react and create an umami experience and you have the acidity in wine that create an umami experience. Now, there are other things that we're going to explore. And the first thing I want to, want to have you taste, there are um, two cheeses on your plate. There may be four pieces, but there are two cheeses. One is a 12-month-age uh, Parmesan-type cheese from Wisconsin. That's the first one with a toothpick in it, okay? And then there's the other chunks of cheese, and it looks a little bit lighter in color, with the one without, is 24 months, aged Parmesan Reggiano. And one of the things about aged, aging cheese is that the umami proteins are created and the, the, you get a more of an umami experience. Now, I have chosen a dark beer to, to, uh, to explore this umami experience. And what I want you to do is, and let me get through this whole thing, is taste the uh, young Parmesan cheese, then taste the beer, and then go back to the Parmesan cheese. What I want you to experience is what does the Parmesan cheese taste like all by itself, then taste the beer. And the thing is that umami does alter the taste of the beer, but I want to focus on what it does to the food in these tastings. You're going to go back a second time to the cheese after you've tasted the beer and see if you sense a difference in the experience. Now, because the 24-month-old cheese is aged longer, there's going to be a stronger character. So I want you to see if we... Well, we all want to see if we can taste a, a, a higher elevated difference in that umami character. Remember, it's a mouthfeel, it's a, it's a brothy character, it's a number of things. So why don't we have a, ta- a sip of the food and taste it and then put it down, taste it, taste it, not a sip of the beer, taste the cheese, taste the cheese, and then taste the beer and then go back to the cheese. The reason why I, ta- I picked the dark beer is because not only is it carbonated, acidic, not only is the beer naturally, all beer is naturally a bit acidic, some more intense than others, but it also has roasted grain in it. 
Roasted grain contributes acidity. Those roasted flavors have acidic characters. And that also intensifies the umami character. Now, one of the things I've also learned, we're all individuals, we all have different uh, different in perceptions of what we're eating as far as intensity. Some people might not get some of these foods and others might just be blown away by some of the things that we're experiencing here. So that's one of the things I've learned. I, one of the laboratories I took in, in, in slow food was that 20% of the audience couldn't taste bitterness, could not taste bitterness. 80, 70% thought it, they could perceive it and uh, were okay with it. And then another 15 or 20% thought that the bitterness, bitterness was so strong that it was a very objectionable. So we all have individual preferences. Gene- and, and that's all genetic. So have we tasted the, the aged cheese, the 24-month cheese? Right away, for me, the aged cheese has this mellowness. also sharper but that's not necessarily the umami that's maybe some acids in the cheese or whatever but there's a a mouthfeel to this and I believe it's enhanced by the dark beer so the point is aged cheese as one example is has umami and in order to enhance that umami Beer, beer happens to do that. Um, let me just review while you're while you're while you're experimenting here. Is that the foods down to savor? There's a long. I'm going to just read a list of of foods that that are down in savor that you're going to be experienced in various forms. Aged cheeses, like we're doing right now, chocolate, bacon, beef, lamb, pork, sweet potato, sauerkraut. Actually, um, Chinese cabbage, oysters, shellfish, tomato products, mushrooms, fish. These are all foods that have a, 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 a degree of umami that is notable. One of the other things that where umami is developed is in curing meat, not only in aging cheese, but cured meat. We have some prosciutto on the, on, the, on the plate as well. This is aged cured meat. And with curing, you develop umami protein. And that's why certain, that's why beers happen to go well with sausage and charcuteria. So often serve um, because it just, it just goes well. And what I've been trying to do is put the pieces together and explore the reasons why. And I think there may be a number of reasons, but I think an important reason is that you're experiencing uh, an elevated umami character because the beer with the cured meat is elevated and creates an umami experience. So let's try that next. And that goes with the... um, This is not the left-hand company, Polestar Pilsner. Uh, We weren't able to 
get that for reasons. Uh, this is Full Sail Brewing Company LTD 03, which is a, a, their, their own Pilsner. So it's a hoppy Pilsner. Um, some bitterness, again, acidity and bitterness enhance umami. So try a little bit of the prosciutto, have some Pilsner, and then go back and have the prosciutto again. Now you've got to remember, it's, umami is not a single taste. It's an intensification of a range of flavors. The actual flavor of the meat or the product you're having plus this mouthfeel, brothy, savory sensation and, and experience. Here are some, some indicators, that I wa- points that I want to make. If you're taking notes, it might be helpful to just write down that umami often subdues sour and bitter and sweet. So if you have, if 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 you have a, a food like the two that we've the, the 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 foods that we're having, and you have a very bitter beer, you might find that that bitter beer is the bitterness is subdued, or the sweetness is is subdued, or the acidity is subdued because of the umami in the food that you're having. So you you create a ba- more of a balance between the two. Um, umami is often Elevated by sour, salt, and bitterness. I said that before, but it's worth repeating again. Let me tell you of some things that some of you may have experienced in your life that, or in restaurants. If you, if you have ever been in a Japanese restaurant and had miso soup. Miso soup has essentially three or four ingredients. You have uh, salted, cured, aged, dried bonita tuna shaved, just enough to give it a kind of a slight fish character. There's miso, which is fermented soybeans. Um, And fermentation, by the way, also creates protein, umami protein. Um, There's also um, kombu. Seaweed is a very, very strong... Actually, monosodium glutamate is derived from uh, seaweed. And monosodium glutamate is a powder that a lot of Chinese restaurants use to create that umami experience. But by itself, it doesn't work. It just, it's a trigger. It's very bland. And kombu is a seaweed that is used in the broth. But interestingly enough, if you boil kombu seaweed in water all by itself, it tastes pretty bland. If you, if you, uh, have, if you cook, the, cook the bonita, the shaved bonita, the dried cured fish in, in, in water, it's very bland. If you have just miso in the soup all by itself, it tastes kind of salty, and that's about it. But when you combine all that together and with the addition of mushrooms, which I've discussed and we will explore a little bit later, certain kinds of mushrooms, enoki mushrooms in particular, shiitake mushrooms and porcini, all four of those things have umami intensifiers in it. And that's why, if you've ever had miso soup in a Japanese restaurant, it, it has a very unusual, full, delicious mouthfeel. And it's a combination of all these umami characters that get enhanced, and it's a synergy. And it's, as like I said, it's not the marriage that you're experiencing, it's the child that's experienced. It's another character that blossoms out of the combination of that food.
We have, um, we've tasted the prosciutto with the pilsner. We've tasted uh, the cheese with the dark, dark, dark ale, the porter. Now, this next tasting I want you to experience is there's a, a cured sardines and certain fish like anchovies, mackerel, sardines, and there are other fish products as well that are very, very high in umami. There's a reason why Caesar salad. Some Caesar salads are better than others. If you use really good aged Parmesan cheese and just enough anchovies, you get this really, you get an umami experience with a Caesar salad. You ever, ever, ever had a inexpensively made with, with not really great cheese and maybe some other kind of fish product besides anchovies, you get a Caesar salad that's not as delicious. There's a reason why that Parmesan and anchovies are put into a salad because it, it, that is an umami experience. It, it intensifies the, the flavors that are in those foods. So we're going to try an India Pale Ale. Caldera IPA from Ashland, Oregon. This is the Amber IPA. Quite bitter. Remember, bitterness elevates umami. And sardine has umami. But I chose a bitter beer just because sardines, to some people, are, are quite intense. So I thought that the, the refreshing character of the bitterness might also help uh, balance the combination of those two foods. You have a lot of things going on. It's, you know, the reason why we enjoy enhanced experience with beer combined with certain foods is, is not just about umami. It's about uh, many other things, but we're just exploring and I'm just trying to explain what this fifth character, which I believe once you get it and can identify it, you'll be able to, if you're a cook or a chef, or you cook, you know, you know, or if you choose your own food, you can understand what you're tasting and why you're tasting it. So try a little bit of the, the sardine. Go to the, the Caldera IPA and go back to the sardine. And I'm going to do the same. I don't know about you, but as soon as I, after I've had the sardine and I, and I had that sip of IPA... I, it was a, a really strong, enhanced reaction of what was going on in my mouth. It wasn't, it was, it's, it's that deliciousness, it's that wow experience. If you'd had the IPA first, it would taste like an IPA. But because of that sardine taste in your mouth, you had a different experience that was a, a result of a combination. You, you basically bred a child. <laughs> Now, here's an interesting notion. They say that Belgian beers go great with food. Why? Well, most people... Well, some people can think of Belgian beers, particularly the sour Lambics and the sour Flemish Reds, um, 
and the very fruity, high-alcohol beers, well, it's logical <clears throat> that they go good with beer because we're, or go good with food because many of us have been have experienced the combination and the knowledge that wine goes good with food. And what's close to wine? But certain types of Belgian beers, particularly the fruity lambics, the sour beers, and the high alcohol, very fruity, fermented with the yeast-enhanced characters that are fruity. Those kind of beers are, are kind of mimicking what most people are familiar with with, with wine, and beer experience, wine and food experiences. So there's kind of like a copycat. The Belgian, those st- Belgian styles are copycatting what people are familiar with, with wine and food. But one of the things is that there's a whole variety of Belgian beers. And I started thinking to myself, well, there are a lot of Belgian beers that are not very well, not highly hopped. And to my, from my experience, there's a lot of Belgian beers that are just generally sweet. And... To me, sweetness, sweetness in a, with an entree is, doesn't necessarily enhance the character of the food. But I, I, I began thinking about aperitifs. When you have an aperitif, that aperitif is usually sweet. And I was thinking, well, why, why would you serve something sweet? I mean, the, our culture has just migrated toward that. There must be a reason. Well, I can speak for myself, and I think I can speak for many of you, that if you drink something sweet, such as an aperitif, you have a few sips, you finish your little glass of whatever it is, and you put it down, and then there's a five or ten minute pause before you sit down for a meal. What happens to your mouth after you've had something sweet? Well, for me, and I had a show of hands when I, when I presented this idea to, at Slow Food, and a lot of people's hands went up with similar experiences, the bacteria in your mouth begin to react and eat those sugars and create lactic and other kinds of acid in your mouth. So, you're, so the, the, the balance of character in your mouth after having something sweet becomes acidic. And they, that may not be true of all people, but it certainly is with me. And, and then you go to the t- dinner table and you have your steak and potatoes or your fish or whatever. And, you, and your first bite just is so delicious because you had an aperitif before. Well, it's not the sweetness, I think. It's the acid that's been created from the residual sugars in your mouth. And that acidity, like I said, acidity in beer and acidity in wine... Acidity enhances umami. So whether you're having an oyster or beef or chicken, those protein foods that have an element of umami, boom, you have that first taste, that first taste when you sit down. Boy, is that good. And then there's some anesthetizing. You get accustomed to the taste, but you always remember how good that first taste is. Maybe you're hungry as well, but you definitely... And I think it's because if you have a, 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 an aperitif, I think that's what's going on. So, so I think that has something to do with umami. And also having sweeter beers as an aperitif. Um, there are 
we're going to try some raw oysters with, let's see, what beer do we have with that? Have we poured that yet? Um, ah, yes. Um, Lazy Magnolia, Mississippi's only brewery, uh, makes a, a, very, a very nice nutty brown ale called Southern Brown, Southern Pecan Nut Brown Ale. And I thought that the, the, uh, the roasted character with the slight roasty nutty character with the scallops. Now, many of you have eaten scallops that love scallops and think, wow, really well cooked, lightly grilled scallop, simply done, is really sweet. Scallops are sweet. Well, you've been fooled. That sweetness, scallops are not sweet. That sweetness is really the mouthfeel of umami and umami itself. It's the protein. It's, the, uh, it's, it's that umami character that you're experiencing. It's not really sweet, sweetness. You know, there's a reason. Why don't you try the, the pecan ale with, with a scallop? Go back and forth like we've been doing and see what happens. The word umami comes from the ja- original Japanese discovery and research on this taste. If you go to Japanese restaurants, if you enjoy sushi, many, you know, most Americans, when they enjoy sushi, they use, and if they enjoy wasabi, they put way more wasabi and use way more wasabi than Japanese people would. The whole art of sushi, nigiri sushi in particular, for example, is to try to enhance those proteins in certain kinds of fish products, fish, fish. And what they do is put a little dab of wasabi. Real wasabi is different than most of the wasabi you get in Japanese restaurants. Real wasabi is a root, and real wasabi, the root wasabi, has umami in it and some bitterness. And when you go to a Japanese restaurant in Japan, you don't really taste that fiery nasal sensation. They just put enough there to enhance the umami experience of the raw tuna or the raw salmon or whatever, or the scallops or whatever is whatever kind of was, uh, sashimi or, or, or sushi that you're having. So it's, it's a combination. It's, it's the art of putting just enough character in there to enhance and not to overpower. That steak tartare example that I gave you, I was careful not to just dump a whole lot. I didn't want the, the steak tartare to taste like beer. I just wanted the character, those delicate characters, the acidity and the bitterness the light bitterness and the light acidity to create a, an, an additional experience, to create a new experience out of the combination of those, those two foods. How are we doing with it? We've got 20 minutes here. So, while we're at it, we have the stout here, and this is not, we weren't able to get the Alaskan brewing uh, stout. This is Sierra Nevada stout. And oysters and stout, you always say, what a, you know, you always read about oysters and stout go great together. Wow. And if you ever have oysters and stout, you certainly would agree that they do go good together. But never had I really understood 
or believe that I understand now why that is. And this is what this laboratory is, is all about, is exploring the reasons why we have those wow experiences and why people say that certain food combinations go well together. The reason why, I believe, why the stout goes well with, with oysters is that oysters are high in umami protein and stout is not only has the acidity of the beer and the carbonic character of the CO2, but it also has a lot of dark roasted barley and roasted malt. And, the, and if you taste the stout and think about it, that roasted character is acidic. It's strongly acidic, more, more intense than your, your Pilsner or your Amber Ale. You have that with stout. You have an explosion. You have a marriage. And you have a child. That is the combination. That's the wow experience of the umami happening. So let's try that. Well, let's, I'm going to try the stout first and then go to the... the, the on this one, I'm going to try the stout first and then have a, a bit of oyster. One of the things that... For my, in, in, in my mouth that I'm experiencing is a, a, a really elevated mouthfeel. Not just because the oyster is raw. I mean, some of you, may, you're not accustomed to or liking raw oysters, but there is a kind of a mouthfeel that is a deliciousness for those who have... I mean, there are oyster lovers and there are not oyster lovers, but if you're an oyster lover, there's a reason why that stout goes well. That's, that's what I'm trying to demonstrate here. Um, let me give you another example of umami and the development of umami in food. Chicken broth, beef broth. To make really good quality beef broth or chicken broth, you cook it long and slow. You simmer it. That's the wisdom. Never been, having never been told why, I kind of put two and two together. Because you read the umami literature and it tells you that slow cooking, slow cooking enhances the umami proteins and elevates that. If you ever take uh, pieces of chicken, chicken bones or whatever, put it in a pot and boil it for a half hour and taste that broth, it's kind of, it has a chicken taste to it, but it's kind of watery. It's, it's not intense. If you simmer it for a long time, you have this very rich tasting, umami enhanced broth that is quality stuff. You know, this seems like the stuff you get in hospitals, the chicken soup they get in hospitals is a quick, quick boiled stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, a good, you know, a mom's, grandma's chicken soup, the classic stuff. I mean, those, those, that's when you, when you're boiling carcass, chicken, meat, and, and, for a long time, and that is the art of developing um, a good base for, for a lot of, you know, quality food experiences. When, when vegetable broth, chicken broth, beef broth is used as a base or as a part of a soup. Um, let's see. How am I doing? I talked about mushrooms. We're going to taste... We're gonna we're gonna go to the there's there's a shiitake mushroom on your first on your on your first plate, and I haven't done this. 
This is more visual. We're going to try to we're going to take a bite of this shiitake mushroom. But shiitake mushrooms and enoki mushrooms and porcini mushrooms. And I've had pasta with porcini mushrooms with beer. And boy, does it taste great. It goes good with wine too, but it goes better. I think it goes much, much better with beer. And shiitake mushrooms, and there are other mushrooms too, but they're, they're not as intense umami character. There's not as much intense umami character. You know, when you get Chinese dumplings, steamed dumplings, what goes into those? Shrimp, pork, uh, scallions, little ginger, and chopped pieces of shiitake mushrooms, usually. There's a reason why they put that shiitake mushroom into the dumpling. Not for the taste of the mushroom, but what the mushroom does to enhance the umami proteins in the other, other foods that you're putting into that dumpling. So, um, you know, other things that, are, are, that have umami, I, I mentioned a bunch, but soy sauce, if you like Southeast Asian food, fish sauce, which is basically liquefied anchovy as far as I'm concerned. Um, and and, 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 and and Asian countries, they're much more in tune to the, is de, you know, developing that, that taste experience by combining certain foods. Interestingly, Chinese cabbage, and I think that's very similar to Napa cabbage, um, that is high in, in umami. Um, there's, um, there's also... Um, the other thing that, that I want to put, let's try the mushroom uh, while we're rambling here. And that, go, that is meant to go with uh, the beer, St. Arnold's, Kolsch. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a lawnmower. it's called St. Arnold's Fancy Lawnmower Beer. It's a, a Kolsch-style beer. It's a light ale. Relatively light. I didn't want to overwhelm the mushroom, and I didn't want the mushroom to overwhelm another beer. So... This is an, like I said, this is a laboratory. I've never done a side-by-side comparison, but let's just see if there is a reaction in your mouth between the shiitake and the beer. I would think that, well, I can taste a bit of it already. It tastes like mushroom, but it also has some other characters that are developing in my mouth. A deliciousness, a brothiness, just like I mentioned earlier, a savoriness. The question is, does this beer elevate the character of that shiitake mushroom or does a shiitake mushroom elevate the character of the beer? I'll leave that up to you to determine. Well, like the shiitake, it's, I, just, I, w- I really wanted to make the point. I want to make that point with the shiitake and the tomato. Red, ripe, delicious tomatoes, I don't think, I, sometimes I don't consider the, the tomatoes you get in the supermarket really tomatoes. I call them salad vegetables, salad fruit. I mean, they, they're tasteless. They're, you know, but you know, if you've ever had good, fresh garden tomatoes, you know that they're very delicious. And I was just thinking... Boy, I'm getting that. I'm getting an aftertaste from that shiitake mushroom. Particularly after I had the sip of the beer, it kind of comes on and develops very slowly. So you can imagine combining that with a little bit of pork and beef and a dumpling, or 
Or, you know, when you go to a restaurant and often they serve a little side of mushrooms. Maybe they don't know what they're doing, but they know that a combination goes well. Again, we're exploring, I'm trying to explore the reasons why that combination goes. Why does a mushroom go good with steak? Or why does it go good with salmon or, or other combinations of food? Um, let's see, I was talking about tomatoes. Um, tomato, red ripe tomatoes uh, are, 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 have umami and, and, and they can be enhanced by um, other you know, acidity, bitterness, etc. A little bit of salt. Think about pizza. Pizza and beer is really popular. Now, one of the reasons why pizza and beer is really popular is because it's salty and you get thirsty from drinking, eating pizza. But I can't help that if I had a side-by-side comparison of a, a pizza with a red sauce, tomato sauce on it, and a pizza with white sauce or pesto that didn't have tomato, that I would think that I would prefer... That the, the taste sensations that, that are derived from the combination of the tomato-based pizza are it's, it's a, a more enhanced experience than the white pizza. That's just my hunch. Um, and again, that, I believe, is because of the umami in tomatoes. And maybe that's why Pete also... One reason for, of many that, that uh, pizza is, is, is popular. I, went to a, I was at a brewing conference in, in, in Scotland a week ago, and there was a presentation on food pairing. The, guy, the person never mentioned um, umami in his presentation. And, and I, gave a, I had a comment about tomatoes and, um, past, and, pa, and pasta sauce and pizza and umami and he said, well, Italians, you know, when they have uh, pizza or, or pasta and tomato sauce, they drink wine with that. Well, I think that's just a cultural thing. I think that if you tried side by side, you, you might enjoy the wine with, with uh, a red tomato sauce pasta. But try it with beer as well. Maybe not such a, a beer as a stout that might be too intense, maybe the, the tomato sauce and the delicateness of, of that fruity flavor, you don't want to overwhelm with a roasty character. But there's probably a beer, my hunch is that there's a beer that really can enhance that pasta, maybe an amber ale or a pilsner, that the bitterness and the acidity in the beer will enhance that tomato-y character. Um, particularly if the tomato character in the pasta is not overwhelming, if it's a light Tomato, uh, tomato-based sauce, pasta, pasta. So we have. Um, I've gone about. Uh, we have, according to my watch, I have about eight or minutes or so left. Um, you know that you might, maybe you have some questions, and there are uh, there's some ideas that you we we can discuss. I might not be able to answer um, your question, but you might have some comments or thoughts because for me this is an exploration. Not everything works every single time, but. I think, like I said, this, there are certain fundamentals that I wanted to arm you with and just get you to think and start the dialogue between 
groups of people and, your, and in your own mind about why you like certain foods? And is there something else you're tasting besides salt, bitter, sweet, and sour that you can identify and begin to appreciate? Yes, we have a microphone for you. Should we try that again? There we go. All right. Whoa, maybe a little much. <clears throat> I always found that really hoppy beers and seafood uh, create this um, extra fishy taste in my mouth, especially an aftertaste. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whether I'm just kind of unique in that and everybody else it's a you know wonderful pairing, but something like a, a triple, something that's very sweet, very light, um, is, is much better to me with seafood. In fact, I have a really hard time finding any beer that I like with seafood. And I found yeah. the same kind of combination even with the nut brown um, here. And I wonder if yeah. you've had that, you know. I can imagine. Same. I mean, a lot of seafood dishes are much more delicate, not as robust and as aggressive as, as meat dishes. So just in general, I tend to pair and prefer, like you said, the lighter tasting beers, the fruitier tasting beers, and not so much the intense bitterness. Um, but what did you think of the sardine and the IPA? I thought... Yeah. 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 Well, you know, sardines and mackerel and anchovies—they're pretty intense. We can all agree on that. But having a flounder or a salmon or a, you know a sea bass—I, you know, having an IPA with that—you might enjoy it. But I, you know, that that hop intensity kind of—you know, there's 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 a Bigger reaction that might not be as pleasing. This scallop, when you had the scallop, and what what beer did we have with that? We, the nut brown. Well, that's interesting. You know, one of the things that I'm enjo- I enjoy giving this talk because some of you will probably email me or come at come and talk to me later about some resources resources that you've heard of. Whenever I make comments about this, there's all usually some people that are really interested and that can, we direct each other to various sources because there's not a whole lot on the, on the Internet. And like I said, some of it's accurate and consistent and some of it isn't. You have a question over here? Yeah, I've been uh, following the research on this, and I find it interesting that uh, the four tastes and even the five tastes are, are really very simplistic in that they've found that there are a whole lot of different receptors. The uh, glutamate receptor, like you said, now they found carbonic acid receptors and even fatty acid receptors. And I'm wondering, um, have you thought about other combinations that go with those and you know what other things might come along? Well, uh, you know, like I... The thing about science these days and analysis is that it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and they can measure finer and finer things. And when you do that, you usually find more problems or, or, or you want to make more exceptions because, oh, there's this here, there's this there. Just like the notion that you taste, you know, there was always this thing about sourness on the side of your tongue and, and salt on the on the. Uh, tip of your tongue, sweetness on the tip of your tongue, bitterness on the back of the tongue. Well, I still think that's mostly true, though. What they say is that you have receptors all over your mouth that taste all those things all over your mouth. That's, I think that's accurate. But I think generally the, the impact, the overall impact, because knowing, knowing that they've said that you have receptors on 
all over your mouth on all these flavors. When I still get an, I do experiments about putting things on the tip of my tongue and putting them on the back of my tongue and just seeing where I'm tasting. And those characters are more intense on the original map. But I do, yes, I do taste them all over. It's just like they keep measuring things finer and finer and finer. That's why they, they keep, oh, there's this in this product. There's this and this. This is bad for you because there's one part per billion. We weren't able to measure. We are only able to measure one part per million 10 years ago. Now we can measure one part per trillion. So you've got to take that all relatively and, and, and remember that we're human beings and that there's a... a a sense of pleasure we derive from this and that we shouldn't get so bogged down in, in everything that the scientists are, are finding out and tr- try to cope with it all. It's like, let's get real here. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. I wanted to thank you for your presentation. Uh, you have given me a name and a structure for something that my wife and I experienced the first time we came to Savor, where there were beers that I would taste that... I would never have, you know, sat out on the deck, you know, and enjoyed on an afternoon. Um, would not have not have been for me at all. But when paired with a particular food yes. that they were, were just absolutely amazing. And you've given me a, you know, why that might be and something to look for in the future. Yeah. I wanted to thank you very much, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. I, you know, I, I have the same experience. You know, there's, I like certain sour beers as a refreshing drink or a drink all by itself. But most sour beers are just out of whack one way or another. They're too intense. Um, and that, that whole concept of we don't like sour beers because they're sour. We like them because they have all these flavors and we can only characterize them in our mind and communicate them to each other by just one word. And what I have experienced is like some sour beers that I would just never kind of pour me a glass, I'll drink it. And, but when it's with food, boy, it just creates a really cool, nice experience. Um, yes. How about German Hefeweizens? Do you drink those with food? Oh. You know, I should probably should experiment with that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I, also, that I also want to mention, chocolate and food. You know, that's always a great combination, isn't it? Is it umami? I don't know if it is, but I did, I, I, you know, maybe, you know, the process of making chocolate, they take the cacao seed and they keep all the skin on it and they put it out in the sun and it ferments. That's, they have to do that in order for the, for the, the flavors to develop. So there is a fermentation process involved in chocolate, and fermentation develops umami. Is there umami in chocolate? I don't know, but I suspect that's worth investigating. <laughs> Repeatedly. Well, let's see. We've uh, come to just about the end of our time, unless somebody has a, a burning question that they're dying to get out. Um, Maybe we will uh, thank Charlie for his fine presentation. Thanks. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find the rest of the Saver podcast, visit craftbeerradio.com slash saver or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for details on the licensing. 